tonight we, uh, we wrap up a series that we've been preaching on entitled Chain Breaker. And it's, even though there have been multiple chains, the breaker is singular because the only one who can set us free is the Lord Jesus. And so he is the chain breaker. He says in John 8, if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. And so tonight we're going to talk about breaking the chain of temptation. Breaking the chain of temptation. Take your Bible and open it to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians 10, we're going to read the first 14 verses, but our focus is going to be on verse 13, which is one of the most misunderstood and misapplied scriptures in the entirety of the Bible. I think I've probably heard this verse misused more times as a pastor than any other verse in scripture. And so maybe that has your attention. 1 Corinthians 10, beginning verse 1, I invite you to stand as we read God's word. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. And do not become idolaters as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted Christ and were destroyed by serpents. Nor complain as some of them also complained and they were destroyed by the destroyer. Now all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed, lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. God bless the reading of his word. Go ahead and be seated. I told you that verse 13 is probably the most misused, misapplied, misunderstood verse in Scripture. Um, Paul says, No temptation has overtaken you except such as common to, to man, but God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Um, the way this is often applied out of context is folks, when they are under burdens, will often say, well, I know that God won't put more on you than you can handle. I know the Bible says that. Well, that's not what this verse teaches. And it's this verse that they are referring to. This verse is dealing specifically with temptation. All right? has nothing to do with trials. If you don't believe that God will put more trials on you than you can handle... I think when you get to heaven, Job will beg to differ with you. I think Job's one of those guys who would say, now, now, you know, you thought that, but let me just tell you, there was a whole lot more than I could handle just in chapter one alone, all right? Um, so, so it's dealing specifically with temptation. Let me give you a couple of other verses out of the book of James to help you understand. James, first in James 1, verses 2 and 3. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various 
trials. Now, I've capitalized that word for emphasis. When you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Now, later in that same chapter, in verse 13, James says, Let no one say when he is tempted, and I've capitalized it for emphasis, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one, when he is tempted, when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed, then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth, brings forth death. Now, I want you to notice there that it says, let no one say when. That's a key, ver- that's a key word in that verse. When he is tempted. Because I think sometimes as Christians, we think that, you know, once we, uh, once we accept Christ, we're going to face less temptation. Just the opposite is true. We'll face more temptation because, see, God then puts us in his army because there's, a, there's a, an enemy and there's a battle that's raging. And he then, God sends us to the front lines. And so when we do battle with the enemy, who's the enemy? Satan, right? Where does temptation come from? It comes from him. And, and so we're going to be tempted more as a child of God, not tempted less as a child of God. Um, we have a tendency to confuse trials and temptations, and that's why I capitalize them. Trials are hardships or problems or troubles that inevitably come into everybody's life. Everybody here has had trials and hardships and troubles, uh, problems, um, and, and those are tests by God to make us stronger. They, they test our faith and they make us stronger. Now the difference is temptations are inducements to do wrong, all right? Enticements to do evil. And, and whereas test, God uses to strengthen us, temptations, Satan uses to shackle us. He wants to bind us to sin. Trials tempt. Trials test us, temptations trap us. Trials strengthen us, temptations weaken us. I heard about this man who was uneducated, and, and he got saved. And, and he used to tell his boss all of the time that the devil was after him now that he'd gotten saved. that It seemed like everywhere he turned around, he'd run into the devil, and the devil was just pursuing him, and he couldn't get away. And So they were out duck hunting one day. And, and the boss looked at him, and he said, Sam, tell me. He said, I, I don't understand. You're always talking about since you got saved that the devil is after you. I'm not a Christian, and the devil never bothers me. Explain that to me. And I love the way that Sam worded it. Well, boss man, it's like this. Suppose we shoot two ducks. One duck falls dead into the water, and the other one is still flopping. Which duck would we go after first? And the boss said, well, we'd go after the one that's flopping. He said, that's right. See, the devil knows you as a dead duck, so he doesn't even fool with you. Now, you know, that's poor grammar, but that's wonderful theology because when, when a person is dead, you know, you let a sleeping dog lie, right? The devil is not going to mess with somebody who is either a carnal believer or a lost person because he's got them where he wants them. He can't do anything to change the, 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 the fact that a Christian is a Christian belongs to God, but he can, he can make them carnal fleshly to where they are of no use to the Lord. They don't honor the Lord. And so if a person's carnal, he's going to leave them alone. I heard a preacher say one time, if you haven't had a head-on with the devil recently, it could be that you and he are headed in the same direction. And I think that's true. I mean, you, you know, I don't know about you, but I, I bump heads with him often. If we could learn from those who had gone before us, the lessons they learned, life would be easier. 
And that's what 1 Corinthians 10 is all about. It's about learning from the wilderness generation. In verse 6, he says, Now these things became our examples. In verse 11, he says, Now all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition. They were examples for our instruction, for us to be warned by. And, and what were the things that he's referring to? Well, he spelled them out there. They had, they had idolatry. They had sexual immorality. They had grumbling about God's provisions. They had murmuring against God's leadership. I mean, you could just go on and on, and it's all spelled out there. Um, and what ended up happening is, the reason it says that they were left in the desert is many of them were buried in the desert instead of being blessed in the promised land. All of the adults who left Egypt save for two, perished in the 40 years in the wilderness. Only Joshua and Caleb. Now verse 12 is a warning to us because sometimes we say things like, I will never, and then fill in the blank. Maybe, maybe you tell your spouse, I will never cheat on you. Or maybe you say, I will never lie. I will never cheat on my taxes let me just tell you look at verse 12 i want to read it to you and then i want to explain it it says therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall see when you say i will never you have just challenged the enemy the enemy says all right let's see about that then and all of a sudden the thing that you said you would never do opportunity is going to be placed in front of you time and time again why because the devil is trying to entice you to sin he's trying to get you to sin you remember peter in matthew 26 jesus had said all of them were going to forsake him peter said lord i don't know if even if these other 11 desert you you can count on old pete here i'm here i'm not going to deny you and before the night was over he had denied him three times I think that's what this verse 11 or verse 12 is talking about. Take heed, lest when you think you stand, you're going to fall. So let's talk about temptation and breaking the chain. Number one, temptation is common. It's common. The verse says that. Uh, the devil is a master at getting us to think nobody has it as bad as us. He tells us nobody's under the pressure that we are. Nobody's facing the same circumstances. Nobody knows how, how bad things are. No one's ever been tempted as we are. That's not true. Verse 13, no temptation has taken you except such as is common to man. It's common to man. Just thinking about that wilderness generation. What do you face that they didn't? Now that was thousands of years ago. What temptation do you face that they didn't face in the wilderness? None. There's not a temptation that you face that they didn't have to face. They lusted for evil. They lapsed into idolatry. They had sexual immorality. They had greed. They complained. They griped about God's treatment. They complained about their leaders. They had bad attitudes. I mean, you could, all of the things that we are tempted to do, they were tempted with. 1 John 2.16 says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of the life is not of the Father, but is of, of the world. That verse has the three big temptations. These are the devil's three big temptations. The first one is um, the lust of the flesh. Those worldly desires. The things of the world. It could be greed. It could be coveting. It could be 
um, any number of things, but, but the desires of the world, the things that the world says you should chase after. And then there's the second great temptation is the lust of the eyes, the things that you see. Be it a person or a thing that you just have to have no matter what. And then the last one is the pride of life, taking pride in your own achievements and your own accomplishments rather than understanding the truth of what Jesus said when he said, without me, you can do nothing. There are a few things that the entirety of humanity shares, and temptation is one of them. Whatever temptation you're facing, understand that millions have already faced it, and understand today that millions are facing the same temptation that you're facing right now. It says it's common to man. Number two, temptation is controlled. Paul says that there's no temptation that you will face that is beyond what you can handle. Now, you might be saying, hold on, preacher, I'm not so sure about that because I have these temptations that it seems like I just succumb to time and time and time again. Well, just because you give in to a temptation, just because I give in to a temptation doesn't mean that it's beyond what we can control. Those are two different things. Those don't equate, okay? Just because we give in doesn't mean that God's not giving us the ability to handle it. We can always do more than we think we can. I want you to take your arm and reach as high as you can. Now reach just a little bit higher. All right. How many of you were able to reach just a little bit higher after I said reach as high as you can? Right? I mean, yeah, we, we can always do more than what we think we can. When it comes to temptation, you can handle more temptation than you think. So when I say temptation is controlled, what am I talking about? It's common, temptation is common to all man, but it is controlled by God. According to the text, it's controlled by by God the only one who knows how much temptation I can handle the only one who knows how much temptation you can handle is the Lord God we don't know how much we can handle but he does God knows what he's doing and so the scripture says he won't put more temptation on you than you can handle all right our threshold of what we can handle is different some have thresholds here some have thresholds here and some have them all in between but God knows what your threshold is, and he's not going to put more on you than what you can handle. Now, if tempta- that begs the question. If temptation is controlled by God, why doesn't he just stop it from coming to us? I mean, if what I'm saying is true, if he controls it, then why didn't he just stop it from coming to us? Why do we have to face it? God doesn't allow temptation for you to fall or for you to fail. He allows it so you can stand. You understand that? He doesn't. He doesn't allow it for you to fall or to fail. He allows it for you to succeed and to stand. It's interesting. The word temptation in the Greek is neither a good nor a bad word. It's kind of like computer. You know, computer is, is neither a good thing or a bad thing. It's all dependent upon what you do with it. Well, this word is neither good nor bad. It's simply meant to try or to prove. To try as in test or to prove. And it's specifically talking in this passage about that which is inside of a person. And so no temptation is stronger than the resources we have. It's it's a test. It's proving that Christ lives in us and that we are walking with him. 
what's the spiritual resource we have again in verse 13 no temptations overtaken you except such as common to man but here's our resource god is faithful god is faithful that's the control that i'm talking about there god is faithful at all times under all circumstances and in every temptation god is faithful you believe that at all times in all situations in all temptations god is faithful lamentations 3 one of our great hymns was written based on this text through the lord's mercies we are not consumed because his compassions fail not they are new every morning great is your faithfulness our scripture says god will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able why because he is faithful so temptation is controlled third temptation is conquerable it's conquerable he says in verse 13 but god will with the temptation also make the way of escape you'll never face a temptation where you don't see the red exit sign where god doesn't point out now you have this temptation but here's the way to leave this is the door to walk through to get out of this temptation to stop facing this the problem is we don't take the door we see it but we don't take it it is conquerable the, the way of escape is a word picture sailors would use it when they would be in a storm and it was a picture of throwing cargo overboard so that they could stay afloat forsaking things that might bog them down okay it was also used when soldiers were trapped when there was no escape it seemed like and all of a sudden a scout would come riding up and say hey i have found a passageway for us to escape and he would lead them through that passageway that they could get away from the enemy that's that's what this is when we face temptations satan tells us there is no way out you are going to give in to this temptation and there's nothing you can do about it that's when god through the holy spirit like the scout shows up and says over here's the exit door here's the way of escape so that you don't have to succumb to that temptation instead of focusing on the pull of temptation we should look for the passage of escape but we do just the opposite rather than looking for the passage of escape we focus on the pull of temptation and we fail to see the way of escape i used to get a magazine called discipleship journal i'm not even sure if they still print it or not but um they had an they had an issue where they asked spiritual uh ministry leaders they asked ministry leaders what were the greatest temptations and spiritual challenges that they faced and in the article these people that they had polled listed a variety of sins um, materialism pride self-centeredness laziness anger bitterness sexual lust gluttony and lying but they ask them a follow-up question and that's what i want you to hear 81 percent more than four out of five said this i deal with temptation better when i'm having my quiet time with god every day when i don't have my personal time with god i am more susceptible to temptation i mean that's a no-brainer i mean that makes sense to us but i mean we don't practice that in our life when they were asked how they resisted temptations these were their top answers prayer avoiding compromising situations in other words you know if if gluttony is your sin don't wait until you are inside baskin and robbins or the great american donut shop to decide okay i'm not going to eat avoid compromising situations um 
other ways they said meditating on god's word being accountable to somebody else that, that they spiritually were accountable to i love hebrews 2 18 this is a verse that probably a lot of you you've read maybe if you've read through the scripture but you don't know it but it's worth knowing hebrews 2 18 for in that he himself talking about christ has suffered being tempted he is able to aid those who are tempted you know scripture says jesus was tempted in all things like we are and i love this verse because it says he suffered he, he faced the same temptation to give in as what we do and because he didn't he's able to aid those of us who are tempted and that's everybody in this room because we all face temptations and jesus is our help god's responsible for providing the way out we're responsible for taking it james 1 12 blessed is the man who endures temptation for when he has been proved he will receive the crown of life which the lord has promised those who love him now so how do you let me break it down real easy how do you battle temptation how do you have victory over temptation i want to give you four words tonight as life application so you might want to write these four words down i think as we look at our text you'll understand the meaning of these four words life application number one is to reject to reject satan tries to intimidate us as christians when when we are tempted he tries to intimidate us by calling us failures as christians let me just remind you it is not a sin to be tempted because jesus was tempted in all ways and yet he was without sin the temptation is not sin but satan says well because you're feeling tempted something's wrong with you something's wrong with your spiritual walk he tries to intimidate us and we need to reject that paul says in ephesians 6 verse 10 finally my brethren be strong in the lord in the power of his might put on the whole armor of god that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil for we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities and powers against the rulers of the darkness of this world against spiritual wickedness in high places temptation is simply an indicator that there's warfare happening when you're tempted that simply means you're doing battle with the devil that's all it means doesn't mean that that you are weak it doesn't mean that you are vulnerable it simply means that satan is attacking you you are under attack and there's three common ways that we we react to temptation the first one most of us experience alarm okay alarm what do i mean by that well we realize that we're being tempted and we realize that the flesh is weak and so we we heighten our spiritual awareness we're alarmed okay man i know something's coming and i'm not sure how i'm going to get to deal with this how i'm going to be able to deal with this and so the second way we respond after alarm is frustration frustration over the fact that we're being tempted and, and oftentimes it's the same temptation over and over again we face the same one so we become frustrated well remember what first corinthians 10 13 says some temptations are common to all of us i mean we all have them in common they come to us because of our circumstances because of the way we think now sometimes our circumstances are different and so the temptation is not common it's a different temptation and that's what hebrews 12 calls those besetting sins those things that are are temptations to me that i give into sin that may not be a temptation to you that you're not tempted to give into that sin but for you the besetting sin is something different 
And so that's where the frustration comes. Hebrews says to lay aside the sin which so easily besets us. So set aside that, the weak areas. Um, and then the third way we respond is discouragement. And, and what do I mean by that? Oftentimes we respond to temptation this way. Well, I know that I'm going to give in anyway. And I know that I'm not going to do anything differently than what I've been doing. And so we become discouraged and we just give in and commit the sin. That's, that's the third way that a lot of folks handle it. When we do that, Satan has the victory. When we just throw up our hands in discouragement and say, that's, you know, I can't do anything about it. It's just, just the way I am. And, and you give in and you commit the sin. You are giving Satan the victory. And you don't have to. 1 Corinthians 15 says, we have the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We all understand that Jesus died to take the penalty of sin so that we don't have to go to hell. But friend, he didn't just want to take the penalty of sin. He wanted to break the power of sin. When he died, he wanted to set you free from the power of sin to where you didn't have to give in. Sin enters when we give in to temptation. So the first thing is to reject the devil's intimidation. Secondly is request. Life application number two. We get in trouble because we minimize temptation or we think we can handle it on our own. God told David in Psalm 50 verse 15, Call to me when trouble comes and I will save you and you will praise me. When temptation comes, the first thing that we should do is call out to God. We should request God's help. God, there's a battle coming and I need your help. That's what the word request means. Hebrews 4. Here's a verse I referred to a moment ago, verse 15 and 16. For we do not have a high priest. That's talking about Jesus, the ultimate high priest. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet is without sin. Let us then. Now, what does that mean, let us then? In other words, on the basis of the fact that our high priest was tempted in every way that we've been tempted and without sin, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Jesus sympathizes. Jesus has empathy. Why? Because he's been, he's been tempted in the same temptation that you're tempted with. But not only does he sympathize and empathize, he then extends to us grace and mercy in our time of need. Often, trouble enters the picture, and, and how it enters is we have a desire to fulfill something that's right in the wrong way. A desire to... Where we fall into sin oftentimes is we succumb to a desire to fulfill something that is right. We just want to do it in the wrong way. Gluttony. God made us so we have to eat, right? So it's a desire to fulfill something that is right. We just do it in the wrong way. Or the sexual drive that men and women have. God gave us that drive. But he also said that there are some ways that if you fulfill that, that is ungodly and it's sin. And so sin is often fulfilling a, a good desire, but fulfilling it in the wrong way. A 
so we know that the Lord sympathizes. It's, it's by His grace that we can say no to temptation. We approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we receive grace and mercy in time of need. So one, reject the devil's intimidation tactics. Number two, request God's help immediately. Life application number three is to refocus. To refocus. James 1 verse 14. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. So we are tempted when we're drawn away by our own desires and enticed. Where does that take place? Right? I mean, in our heart, in our, in our thoughts, right? That's, how, that's our desires. That's how we're enticed. We, we, we begin to think about something and it entices us to give in to it. And so what we have to do is we have to refocus on the Lord. The battleground is in our minds and that's where the battle is often fought. It's a three-step process the devil uses to get you from thought to action. Number one is attention. He gets your attention. He places a thought in your mind and you begin to think about it. All right? That's the first step. And then after attention, his second step is arousal. The thought becomes an intense desire. You know, I really do want that. So it goes from just having your attention to now being aroused and desiring it, and that ultimately leads to action. The desire is fulfilled in a way that dishonors God. That's why the next verse in James 1, verse 15, says when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Now, I added some of these scriptures um, after I gave all of my notes to my assistant today. But when it says that sin, when it gives, it gives birth to death, now, we know that we have eternal life, right? Shake your head like this. You have, if you're a Christian, you have eternal life. Um, and, and so we're not going to have death in that way. So, so what is James talking about here when he says um, it brings forth death? How can it bring forth death to the believer? Well, it brings death to our joy. It brings death to our victory, death to our marriage, death to our career. In fact, 1 John 5, another verse I don't have the scripture on the screen for, but 1 John 5, 16 says, If anyone sees his brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death, he will ask and he will give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death. But John says there is a sin leading to death. I do not say that he should pray about that. It's one of the most difficult verses to, to understand and to interpret in the New Testament. But what does he mean when there is a sin leading to death? Sin unto death. What, what does that mean? I think it's referring to willful, continuous, unrepentant sin. And I think there's some examples of it in Scripture. In Joshua 7, Achan, God had said, don't take any of the spoils of war. And Achan took some and hid it in his tent. And they lost the battle of Ai. And God said, the reason you lost is because there's sin in the camp. And it ended up costing Achan and his family their very life. Achan sinned unto death. Acts chapter 5. Ananias and Sapphira sell a piece of property. And they hold some back and lie to the Holy Spirit. And they walk in and give to the disciples what, what, uh, what they said they made. And Peter says, why have you lied to the Holy Spirit? And boom, they drop dead. Sin 
unto death. Open, continuous, unrepentant sin. As a pastor, I think I've seen it at times. I've, I've seen people that I believe died before their time. I'm thinking of a guy I used to pastor that was a truck driver. Been married like 30 years, started taking this other woman on his truck across country with him. Didn't care who knew about it. His wife confronted him, church confronted him. He just wasn't going to change. He wasn't going to do anything about it. He had a cold one morning, and so he was in the recliner when she left to run to the store. He's had a cold, just sniffles, sneezing every once in a while. And she came back about an hour later, and he was dead as a doornail in his recliner. And they, they, they never understood really what caused his death because he's probably maybe 60. They just said it was natural causes. I believe as his pastor that he committed the sin unto death. Open, unrepentant, willful, continuous sin. And there reaches a time when God says, I can no longer leave you on earth because you are dishonoring my name by the fact that you continue to do this sin, do this, you're my child, but I just can't leave you there and leave you that way because you're harming the church and you're harming the very name of Christ. So we're to refocus on the ways and the will of God. Paul said, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So we replace the temptation thoughts with godly thoughts. We refocus, all right? So reject devil's intimidation, request God's help, refocus on the ways and will of God, and the last, last application is resist. There's a conditional promise found in James 4, 7. Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. That's a conditional promise. The positive is to submit yourself to God. The negative is to resist the devil, and the result is the devil flees. So if you do the positive and you do the negative, the end result is it equals the devil fleeing. The reason, though, a lot of people can't resist the devil is because they're not fully submitted to God. When we're fully submitted to God about temptation, we say things like, you know what, God, I can't do anything about this. And I recognize my flesh is weak, and so I am, I am giving my life to you and and God, I just want to follow you with all that I am. And, and that's not, listen, that's not something that you do every six months or a year when you come to the altar and rededicate your life. Now, rededicating is good, all right? But this submitting is something you have to do on a daily basis. I mean, you can't, you can't just do it every, uh, every once in a while occasionally. Every morning, you have to submit yourself to God. You've got to say, God, these, these are your hours. They're not mine, and my desire is to do your desire in however many hours I'm awake today. This day's a gift from you, and so I submit to your leadership in my life. So after submitting, then how do we resist the devil? Once we've submitted, he says, resist the devil. How do we do that? Well, it goes back to Ephesians 6, putting on the whole armor of God. The belt of truth. The belt, the soldier would hang his sword from the belt, and the belt was what held, hold, it held all of the armor together. Paul calls it the belt of truth. Jesus said in the high priestly prayer in John 17, thy word your, to, his, to his father, he says, thy word is truth. And so the truth that we have that holds everything together that encircles us is the word of God. 
That, that's where we hang our sword. That's, where we, that's, what, that's what holds everything together, our life together. And then he says the breastplate of righteousness. That protects the, the heart. Sin always begins in the heart. It begins in our thoughts. And so we need the breastplate of God's righteousness. And then he talks about the shoes of the gospel of peace. Shoes protected a soldier's feet. If a soldier couldn't stand because his feet hurt, he was no good when the fight happened. I mean, he couldn't fight sitting down. He, he was going to lose if he was sitting down. He had to stand. And so God protects the, the place that we walk, the path that we walk with his peace. Peace of God, which passes all understanding. The shield of faith. They used to shoot fiery, fiery arrows. They would, they would dip the arrows in tar or something and light them on fire. And when you would attack, they, would, they might shoot hundreds of them at you. The Roman soldiers had a rectangular shield that if they stood behind it it covered the entirety of their body there was no way that they would be hit by one of the fiery darts if they had their shield up and so paul says we take the shield of faith it's our faith that stops the fiery darts of satan the dart of doubt the dart of the dart of discouragement the start of the dart of delusion listen when temptation comes and it will you don't have time to pull out your concordance and to pull out a commentary and try to find a verse that is going to help you with that temptation. If you try that, it is too late. Almost every time you're going to lose. So what you have to do is you have to be familiar with the Word of God. You have to hide it in your heart ahead of time. Soldiers didn't wait till the heat of battle to say, you know what, I think I better get ready because the fight's on. Better put this armor on because, you know, these guys are playing for keeps. No, the soldier put the armor on ahead of time and the soldier trained for hours and hours and hours, days upon end with his sword so that when the fight came, he'd be able to handle himself. Well, Ephesians 6 says our sword the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. And so the way that we attack the enemy, the way that we go on the offensive, is we have to train for hours and hours and hours and days on end with the Word of God so that when the attack comes, how did Jesus deal with temptation all three times? He quoted Scripture. He used the word which is the sword of the spirit now the good news is you don't have to fight for victory jesus already won the victory first corinthians 15 tells us tells us that you are fighting from victory not fighting for victory we are fighting from a position of victory jesus won the victory and he's, he, he has equipped us to have the victory the question is will we prepare ourselves for victory for when the battle comes let's pray together Father, thank you that your word is very clear on how we can do battle with temptation. How we need to reject the intimidation tactics of the, of the devil. How we need to, to resist him. How, how we need to refocus our attention on you and upon your word. God, I'm mindful of the psalmist who said, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. God, I know from my own life, and I, I believe probably for 
most here, they would say that when we have been in your word, it has been easier to deal with temptation. And when we have not been in your word, we often lose the fight and we sin. And so God, help us to be disciplined, to spend time with your sword, that we might know how to wield it when the enemy attacks. Lord, I pray for those who are struggling under the great weight of temptation, that they would reject the devil's thoughts that they are failures. Yes, God, we have all failed in the past, but every single person here, their future is spotless. And so, God, I pray that you would shift thoughts tonight from what we have done to what we will do. If there's sin that we need to repent of and confess, God, I pray that we would do that. And I pray that we would forget those things which are behind and press forward to those things which are ahead. Looking ahead, not looking back. God, may it be so, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.